Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the death of Absalom, as we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. So, Joab said, I shouldn't wait with you, and he took three darts in his hand, and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was still alive there in the midst of the oak. And the ten young men that bare Joab's armor circled about and smote Absalom, and they killed him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after the Israelites For Joab restrained the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit, and they threw a lot of, a great heap of stones upon him. And uh, during Absalom's lifetime, we read that he had made a sort of a tower, uh, a monument, uh, after, and named it after his own name, and he, and he, this pillar he called Absalom's place. Now, there is in Jerusalem today, in the valley of the Kidron, down beneath the, what they call the pinnacle of the temple, which is the corner of the mount that Herod built for the temple in his day, there is down there in the bottom of the Kidron a sort of a burial place, a a pillar, a monument that is called Absalom's Tower. However, most of the noted archaeologists say that it dates to some period after Absalom and is not in reality the tower that is mentioned here in the Bible. However, by making it a a biblical thing, more people go down to look at it. But uh, Absalom had a pillar that he had erected a monument and had set up in a valley. For it said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. Now this is interesting because the scripture said that he had two sons. And so either his sons, both of them died young or... Uh, he built the pillar before his sons were born. And one of the two, we don't know which it might be. So Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said to Joab, let me run and tell David the news. And Joab said to Ahimaaz, nah, you'll run some other day. And he called Cushi, And he said, go and tell the king what you have seen. And so Cushi bowed himself and began to run. And Ahimaaz came back again. He said, I want to run. Please let me run. I want to go tell the king. And finally, Joab said, okay, run. And Ahimaaz was a faster runner. And so before long, he overtook Cushi as he was puffing along and left him in the dust. And David was sitting in the gate of the city. 
And the guy up on the tower called down and he said, there is a runner coming, he's by himself. And David said, if he's by himself, then he bears news. And pretty soon he called, he said, there's a second runner coming by himself. The first runner looks like the running of Ahimaaz. And David said, oh, if it's Ahimaaz, it's good news. And so Ahimaaz came puffing in. And Ahimaaz was called by David over to him. And he said to David, everything is well. And he fell down to his, on his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which has delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. It's all well. You know, God is taking care of those men that have lifted up against you. David said, how is Absalom? And he said, well, he said, I saw a, a great tumult of people. But how's Absalom? Well, I really don't know. I just saw a crowd. And he said, ah, stand back, because Okushai was puffing in about this time. Now, here's an interesting thing to me. Ahimaaz could run well. He was a good runner. He was faster than Cushai. But his problem, he didn't have any message. Now, it doesn't really matter how well you can run. You need to have a message when you get there. I think that some of us many times make the same mistake. We say, I want to run. I want to serve the Lord. Oh, I want to go out and serve the Lord, you know. I've been saved for two weeks now. And, and we go out prematurely before we really have something to share. But so anxious we are to run that we get involved in areas where we are not really qualified. And I see it over and over again. People coming and say, let me run, let me run. I want to go. I want to go out and preach. I want to go out and share. It doesn't matter how well you might run, it's important that you have a message when you get there, that you have something worthwhile to share. And that is why so often we say, no, just sit and learn, sit and prepare yourself, sit and grow in your knowledge so that when you go out, you'll have a message to share. So Cushai then told David, that his son Absalom was slain in the battle. And David was very moved. He went up to his chamber over the gate. And as he went up, he was crying, saying, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would to God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. David's grief for his son Absalom. And David was there in his chamber wailing over Absalom. So they told Joab, David's really wailing over Absalom's death. And Joab came in to David and he said, all right, now David, let's cut this out. He said, these men have gone out and hazarded their lives for you. And they have brought you victory over your enemies. 
But now they are sneaking back into town like they were criminals. Because of your great grief for Absalom, you're actually making them ashamed of what they have done. And if you don't change your behavior in a hurry, they're all going to turn against you. None of them will ever go out and hazard their lives for you again. So you get out there among them, dry your tears, and go out and, and congratulate them on the battle and all, or else you're going to really lose out uh, completely now because these men who have been so loyal to you will surely turn against you. This was actually good advice on Joab's part. And so David went out among the men there in the gate and, and greeted them and so forth and, and uh, did really the right thing uh, for these men who had hazarded their lives for David. Now, there began then a movement of bringing their king back. Actually, they had more or less turned from David. Israel had turned. Jerusalem had turned. But now they, they have started a movement to bring David back. And so David came back to the Jordan River as he was returning to Jerusalem. And the first one to meet him at the Jordan River was this guy Shimei, who was throwing rocks and cursing him on his way out. And now that David is coming back, Shimei is down there to visit him uh, and to greet him and to welcome him back. And he fell down before the king, verse 18, even as he came to the Jordan River, and he said to David, Let not my Lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my Lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come this first day in all of the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the king. And Abishai, who wanted to take off his head earlier, said to David, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What do I have to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there be any man put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore David said to Shimei, Thou shalt not die. And the king swore unto him, and the next one to meet him was Mephibosheth, who was the son of Jonathan. And they had told David a lie. The, the, the servant of Meshivetheth had told David a lie, saying that Meshivetheth had pledged allegiance to Absalom or was trying to take over the kingdom himself after David fled. And so Mephibosheth came to David, and, and David said, well, how come you turned against me? And Mephibosheth said, that was a lie. I didn't turn against you, David. I'm crippled. And, and he said, I needed a donkey to ride on, and, and they deceived me. And uh, they, they didn't bring me a donkey, and therefore I was stuck. But, and, and so David forgave him when he found out that it was all just a lie that had been told uh, 
to him about Mephibosheth. And so they bring back David the king and uh, this man that had met him and offered him all of these foods and dainties all David sought to bring back and, and, and to be with David in Jerusalem. The guy said, hey, man, I'm 80 years old. I'm happy here, you know, and I'm too old to enjoy the dancing girls and all at this point. Why should I come back to Jerusalem? I'd just soon die here where I am. And so uh, David uh, thanked him for all of his goodness and, and left him. Now, there had been a continual sort of division between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribe of Judah. And this division, of course, was manifested in the beginning of David's reign. David reigned for seven years over Judah before he reigned over all of Israel. And now that there has been this division in the kingdom, this old rivalry rises again. And there is this fellow in the northern kingdom, of course, later on under David's grandson Rehoboam, there came the complete break. And... Uh, Jeroboam became king of Israel and Rehoboam the king of Judah. And from that time on, there were actually two nations. They never were united again, except in a few battles. The kings would get together in battles, but quite often, and more than not, they were fighting against each other rather than fighting with each other. And it became a definite divided kingdom. Interestingly enough, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, where God promises to restore the nation, God promises in the restoration of the nation that they would be one nation, not two, when they were restored. And of course, since 1948, in the restoration of the nation of Israel, you don't have the northern tribes versus the southern tribes. But there is a definite unity of all of the nation of Israel. The, the scriptures have been totally fulfilled as they are unified as a nation, one ruler over them and a, a unified nation, just as was predicted by Ezekiel so many years ago. But in chapter 20, this division is manifested by this particular fellow by the name of Sheba, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he blew a trumpet in Israel, which always was the signal of gathering people to his cause, and he said, we have no part with David, nor in the inheritance of the son of Jesse. Every man to your tent, O Israel. In other words, he was calling for a rebellion against David. And so every man of Israel left David and went up to follow Sheba. But the men of Judah stuck with their king. And David came to his house at Jerusalem, and he took the ten women who he had left in charge, who were his concubines, who were humiliated by Absalom there on the roof. And David put them in a ward, 
And he fed them, but he would not have relations with them after that, so they were as though living in widowhood from that time on. Now, David had asked Amasa to be one of his generals over his army. Amasa was the one who was the general under Absalom. But when Absalom was killed, David asked him to be one of his generals. But Joab really wanted nothing to do with that. And so David said to Amasa, Assemble me the men of Judah within three days and present them here. So Amasa went out to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which had been appointed. And David said to Abishai, Now will Sheba do us more harm than Absalom did. Take thou the Lord's servant and pursue after him, lest he gets into fenced cities and escapes us. And so there went off after him Joab's men, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and all were mighty men. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And when they were, a great, were at a great stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa went before them, and Joab's garment that he had put on was girded unto him, and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and the sheath thereof. And he went forth, and it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not take heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, so he smote him therewith in the fifth rib or in the heart, and, and he killed Amasa. So Joab and his brother Abishai pursued after Sheba, and one of Joab's men stood by him, and he said, He that favors Joab, and that is for David, let him go after Joab. And Amasa wallowed in his own blood there in the midst of the highway, and each man that came up sort of stopped, so they finally threw his body over in the bushes and covered it. And Joab went ahead, pursuing after Sheba, who got into a city, and Joab set up to besiege the city, and a wise woman within the city said, Listen to me. Why should you destroy a whole city in Israel and all of us mothers of Israel? And Joab said, Hey, I don't want to destroy you. I only want that guy that rebelled against David. And she said, Well, just wait, and, and, and we'll give him to you. So she talked to the men of the town, and she said, Look, why should we get wiped out? You know those guys are tough. They'll wipe out our city. Why should we shelter this guy Sheba just because he wants to do his own thing against David? And so they cut off Sheba's head and tossed it over the wall to Joab. And uh, Joab returned then unto David without attacking the city. Now, in chapter 21, it is recorded that at this time there were three years of famine in the land. And so David sought the Lord. Why the famine? And, and the Lord said the famine was in judgment because of the treatment of Saul of the Gibeonites. For Saul had killed many of the Gibeonites. Now, this is interesting to me because 
when Joshua was coming in to conquer the land, God said to Joshua, don't make a covenant with any of the people in the land. You're not to make any treaties, any covenants. Wipe them out. So after the conquest of the city of Ai, there came to Joshua these old men with worn-out shoes, with moldy bread in their hands and ragged clothes. And they said, we've come from a long distance because we have heard of your fame and how that God destroyed the Egyptians and how God is with you. And our leaders have sent us to you to make a league with you that we'll not attack you and you're not to attack us. And Joshua said, well, where are you from? Oh, they said, we're just a long way off. In fact, when we left home, this bread was hot in our hands, but look how moldy it is. These sandals were brand new. Look how worn out they are. And the Bible says they took stock of their victuals and inquired not of the Lord. And they made the covenant with them. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Samuel on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Samuel 18-21 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you through the power of his love, through Jesus Christ. And may you this week be obedient unto the voice of God as he calls to your heart for that work that he would have you to accomplish for his glory. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today would like to invite you to come along on a revolutionary study of the Bible as we introduce Pastor Chuck's Genesis commentary in an ebook format. 
Not only will you have Pastor Chuck's in-depth commentary, this ebook allows access to enhanced research studies by honored Christian scholars instantly. Features include Hebrew and Greek word definitions, as well as images of historical maps and places just by clicking or touching your screen. An online dictionary, plus highlighting, note-taking, and bookmarking. And everywhere Pastor Chuck shares what he learned or studied something, you now have access to those very same notes. To get ready to study the Bible in a whole new way. Now you don't have to imagine what it was like to be there. This is the next best thing. To find out how to download Pastor Chuck's Genesis commentary to your electronic device, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or to watch a video demonstration, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.